Is the West committing suicide? And if so, why? Join us today as we attempt to, uh, maybe we're not the coroner, but uh, maybe we're the counselor, or maybe we're the archaeologist, the societal archaeologist, as we uh, watch our culture stray further every day. Howdy, my name is Jonathan Fiala, sitting in the producer's chair today for Further Every Day, along with Rai Rai, the producer guy. And uh, in the chairs, we've got Miss Nikki in the chair of theology. How are you? Good, how are you? Doing well. Glad to have you there. How's it going, Josh? It's going good, good, sir. Glad to have you there in the chair of philosophy. And Mr. Steve. Yes. In the chair of culture. Yes, sir. Glad to have you there. Yes, sir. All right. I want to think about trying to maybe work his chair a little bit and then maybe be a little politically incorrect at times. You're, Just do that. You're always politically incorrect <laughs> by oh, man, nature. I'm, I'm some people for that. Some people are like by by you know accident you are by essence politically incorrect thank you and, and we're here for it thank you <laughs> okay so let's let... only in this era you know 50 years ago you would have been fine right and, and and that's actually what we want to talk about today so um first off if you're on video yes i shaved my beard okay cool uh anyway next let's talk about our culture's fall and there's a i think there's a really important reason why we're falling and it all comes down to the 19th century or the 1800s uh for those of you who are illiterate and don't know 1800s uh where we see the the, the global population lose sight of something and it's gotten progressively worse but uh, you, some people are going to scratch their heads when i do this but i'm going to say let's go ahead and look at something interesting art through the ages and i want to get y'all's take on this and I'm going to show you this little video from uh, in the website, in the description, etc. But it's a great little video. Let's take a quick watch. So this is your Egyptian art. Your Greco Roman art. In the Middle Ages, a lot of um, liturgical art. Then we see the Renaissance with a focus on realism. But then the 19th century, what do you start to see? Crossroads, really. Like he was doing some acid or something. Well, now now this is stuff that now sells as art. Okay, so this is at abooks.com, by the way, if you want to check that out. So I want to get y'all's reaction to what you just saw in the progression from ancient Egypt to modern day. What happened with the art? What What are your thoughts? What are the first things that jump out at you? Is there anything in particular that stands out? For me, the thing that stands out is the loss of so it's the loss of boundaries and it's the loss of understanding and it and everything gets very muddied and it becomes very abstract. There you go. And also, there's perversions of original things like the mona lisa that one doc that one painting where it had the mona lisa doubled and so it's it's interesting how that how that works so i forget who said this but they said that a sign of decadence in a culture is the inability to create new things but only to distort twist or reimagine old things where creativity goes out the window 
And instead of creativity, what you call creativity is simply reimagining. By the way, can I can, can I just say all of these remakes of movies? But also, yeah. when people cannot paint a Mona Lisa, when people cannot create something that is new, you 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 have a deconstruction of what is beautiful, a breaking apart <clears throat> of what is beautiful. Which, by the way, some of y'all. Or I think all, all, all four of us actually were on the podcast where we talked about um, the uh, uh, Frankfurt School. Yeah. What, what was the primary interest of the Fra uh, Frankfurt School? Deconstructing Christianity. Or at least a Christian worldview, right? So what also happened in the 19th century, the 1800s? What, what did we see happen in academia? The attacks on the Christian faith. The inroads of higher criticism from Germany. Define higher criticism, Josh. So if I could put it in any type of way, it would be you have what you understand as the basic truths. Well, these are more so they're introducing subconscious. So I, at least this is the way I like to think about it. Uh, you probably find a better definition on the Internet or from other people. Uh, but it's the subconscious being attacked now where it's no longer a, a matter of what's just in plain sight. There's something more to it. It's almost Gnostic in a sense. Absolutely. Absolutely. And what, what they're looking at is they're looking at breaking down. In the, in the case of textual criticism, higher criticism is focused on what did those texts mean to say? Like what was the ultimate goal Whereas lower criticism was focused on, on the textual issues of the Bible itself. But if you take it to a broader cultural expanse, higher criticism is saying it, it's a focused on, on um, ontology and teleology. How should things be? What should their purpose be? And they're making an argument. So we have the, the adoption of the concept of the social contract. But <laughs> what's wrong with the social contract, Miss Nikki? You, you're, 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 you're laughing there. Was there a social contract in Germany in the 1930s and 1940s? You know, I, I, I kind of hesitate to say because I don't want to say anything that um, I didn't really research it very well. But it's, it's, wouldn't you say, trying to reinvent the social structure? I mean, that's, I mean, Hitler's... Hitler was an evil man, but he was very brilliant about how he went about what he wanted and the marketing strategy he wanted to get people to respond the way he wanted people to respond and taking out the people that opposed him. Uh, he was quite brilliant about it to get what he wanted. Correct. Absolutely. <laughs> and the thing that, that people don't realize is, is that you have two branches of the, of the Enlightenment. And, uh, you know, we've talked about this over and over again, but there were two sides. There was the North American branch, the English North American branch, by the way, responsible for getting rid of slavery. Okay. Getting rid of slavery, getting rid of and, ch and changing uh, the world for better, giving rights and freedoms to people. Then there was the uh, left wing of that, the European slash Eurasian development of that. And it prioritized blood, land, and flag. Right, those things. Those things were the were, were the critical 
uh, center points of where humans derive their value, not from God, whereas the right wing enlightenment that came to England and the United States said, you derive your value out of God. Man has something bigger to strive for. Uh, there, there, there's a higher value in, and that's found in Christ. That's where that value is. Whereas the left wing, which really flourished in Europe, it, it, Italy, Germany, and Russia, they really took that to heart and said it is the conglomerate, the social contract that we make, that the non-aggression for the purpose of flourishing. Well, what happens if some people get in the way of flourishing? Get in the way in parentheses. Now they're a problem. But th there's more to it than that, isn't it? Because once you detach value, once you detach value, the human, the human being's value from that innately critical uh, essence that, that's derived from being made in the image of God, what happens to the value of, of the human being in society, Josh? From a philosophical perspective, when you rob the human of their innate value in Christ as an image bearer of God, and they are simply one of a mass of mammals. What does that do to the value of the human being? So I actually want to bring up something very interesting about that. So it was something I had tackled in the study I was leading on first Corinthians. Whenever I was talking about the background of the city of Corinth, Corinth was a very heavily populated area and it was very population dense and an interesting thing about population dense cities is that there typically tends to be more debauchery and perverse ways of living in those cities whenever there's a bunch of people huddled together and considering that corinth was in a place where trade was a, a full a fulcrum of that of that location i mean you had all sorts of things coming in and out of corinth and therefore you had all these different types of debaucherous, like I said, debaucherous ways of living and debaucherous ideologies. Uh, but think about that for a second. How does that attain to uh, whenever we lose the individuality of people? Well, when you, when you lose the individuality of people, you, you start to care less about the value of life and it starts becoming about the greater good, the greater good, the greater good. Defined the by the person so who's ever leading yeah, me. And, and that's the and I, that's another big thing for me. And I've I've said it before and I'll say it again. Who fact checks the fact checkers who fact check the fact checkers? Who does this? Mm -hmm. Because we assume that these fact checkers are the people who are going to tell us what the facts are, and we find out that the fact checkers don't do a really good job of fact checking. And that's because they themselves have made themselves the, the source material instead of the source material being the source material. And so there's a lot of things and the truth gets muddied. The individuality of a person gets muddied and ultimately they lose their value completely. Yeah. And that's, that is a good breakdown of the philosophical and, and you're hundred percent correct. Once you, once you no longer have value that is attributed by Christ or by something outside and it's now a changeable metric, something that can be, can be shifted. Uh, the, the problem is, is now you are on the, you're at the mercy of the mores of the day or as de jour, if you want the morals of the day, just what, what, what happens and those things change. And y'all remember John B. Calhoun, we talked about him before 
and the behavioral sync. Mm -hmm. uh, the interesting thing about the behavioral sync with rats is it's an experiment with mammals is the more, and this is leading to what you were saying, the more rats had provided for them in this utopia, if you will, the less they perpetuated the species. Ultimately, you ended up having people who were, you had the beautiful ones, you had the violent ones that would run around in gangs, and then you would have the ones, forgive me, the, the homosexual ones. And they, would, and they would not have the normal uses for each other. Prosperity does provide a, a degradation of culture. And I want to get to the and I want to get to the chair culture in just a second. But we've talked about this before. I want to go ahead and pull up this this uh, news article uh, out of Canada, and um, this little video news article. And I think I think it would be worth worth us looking at. Um, and we'll react to it. Feel free to react to it as we go. In Canada, children as young as 12 years of age might be able to apply for euthanasia very soon, as the country is yes. further looking to expand the scope of assisted death to include more people. Canada already has some of the most permissive rules on euthanasia. In 2023, Canadians will be able to apply for a medically assisted death, also known in the country as medical assistance in dying, if suffering from mental health problems is the sole reason. Years after assisted dying legislation was first approved, it has been expanded to include those who do not have a reasonably foreseeable death. There were more than 10,000 deaths by euthanasia in Canada last year, an increase of about a third from the previous year. Advocates say that number will likely see an even greater spike. In a bizarre case, a doctor approved euthanasia application of a 65-year-old man who wanted to end his life primarily because he was poor. In another case, a 61-year-old man that. with a history of depression was put to death without his family's knowledge. In his application for euthanasia, the only medical condition he'd listed was a hearing loss. Such cases lay bare the relaxed approach to euthanasia in Canada, where experts say choosing to die is more accessible than support for affected people. Canada is being urged to delay plans to expand assisted suicide to mentally ill people and possibly even mature minors as young as 12 years of age. Mature minors is a loosely defined concept without a specific age. Under this, children who are considered able to make their own medical decisions would be able to request a medically assisted death. However, human rights advocates say the country's regulations lack necessary safeguards and devalue the lives of disabled people. UN human rights experts have said the by law being proposed by the Canadian government appears to violate the UN's Universal Declaration of Human Rights. So just imagine that for a moment. Just imagine that you have someone who is mentally ill. They're, they're depressed. And without telling the family, you help, you help them off themselves. By the way, one of the huge debates about gun debate, you know, the gun issue, is that at least two-thirds of deaths in America where a firearm is used in the death are suicide. And, and so we want to take away people's guns so they can't kill themselves. Instead, we want who to do it? Doctors. The government. <laughs> Think about that. Think about the immense power that we're giving to the government. It's almost like <clears throat> the it's almost like we replaced God with the government in our culture, didn't we, Mr. Steve? 
Yeah, and uh, you know, here's what's interesting on on the comment that you made about who they're wanting to have remove the guns. You know, the comment, and then you say the government. And what was the Second Amendment for? To keep the government in check, and then they're wanting the government to remove these guns from people that are being that are there in order to keep the government in check but you're taking away exactly what the people have to keep the government in check and you're giving it to the government for the government to remove so what is there to keep the government in check exactly you know what i'm it, saying it's the fact checking the fact checkers who fact check the fact checkers or and more importantly in and, this case it's having accountability with our government so that we know that they cannot. But do y'all remember a Terry Schiavo? Do y'all remember that case in Great Britain where the, uh, uh, the, she, she had some brain damage and the government forcibly euthanized her, even though she, uh, there was an argument that she was getting better and they forcibly euthanized her is in the 2000 aughts. Do y'all do remember that case? It, 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 so it, it, Ryan, look up when that when that case was. Terry Schiavo. You're gonna have to figure out the spelling oh, there. Yes, buddy. I do. Yes, I don't remember a whole lot about it, but I remember her she name. In a nursing home. Uh, she was in, I believe, an assisted uh, healthcare facility in um, Great Britain. I believe is where it was. And while this is chilling, while they were getting ready to euthanize her, she yelled, "No." And they did it anyway. Just imagine. Just imagine being injured and your brain is starting to work only to wake up and become cognizant of what's going on just enough to say, please, no, before they kill you. They do it anyway. That's that is giving away all of your rights to the government. So the government can do as they choose to the populace. Absolutely. I mean, I mean, how absurd is it to give up all of your rights to the government? That is just absurd. I mean, and some of these people just don't realize what it is that they're talking about doing. Well, it's because the whole social establishment now puts a value on life i mean it, it, it's not that they they say that you have a good life or you have a bad life is your life valuable is your life um helping society or not if right. you're if you've got brain damage you're not a help to society anymore and you're expendable right yeah all you are is a cost to society you're a burden on the i mean know, and we can go system. very currently with the the person that went into the Christian school and shot up those people, her being a, a transgender person did not promote her to, to kill people. I mean, she made a decision to kill people. Her being a transgender was not the issue. Right. The issue was she made a decision. I'm angry about this. I'm going to kill somebody. So she goes and she kills. And what does our media do? They're they're think, going around saying, oh, transgender. Gender people are, are running in fear. They're scared for their lives. And and I'm, I'm like, wait a minute. What about the people that were just killed? Yeah. This has absolutely nothing to do with uh, 
her being a transgender. This is just has to do with her making a decision because there are a lot of transgender people that day that would never do such a thing. Yeah, exactly. And I think part of it, though, is is the gaslighting of the transgender community by the uh, liberal left. Well, it, like, it is. They, they're pushing. They're saying they're coming for you. They're going to kill you. We're talking about um, what's the word genocide. It's like. I, I beg your pardon. No one is talking about feeding you through a wood chipper. We're, we're just saying, stay the bleep away from our kids. Like, leave, leave our kids alone. We're, we're saying more well, than that, John Arthur. That's what this is all about. If you're suicidal, you don't have any hope. And, and society's not giving you hope. Probably the worst thing <laughs> we've ever done to our kids is introduce Facebook and social media to them because they, they feel like they can't. They can't live up to what what they see, which is not reality. Combined with the incredible dopamine rush that 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 happens, and the lack of endorphins when you're off of your phone, and you know right. your, your serotonin levels tank when you're not on your phone. Mm-hmm. That's why they have to have bathroom passes for kids, and they say, "Look, you're going to go to the bathroom. You got to be out in five minutes or ten minutes." And they have these bathroom passes because kids are doing what on the toilet. And they're just scrolling and scrolling and scrolling and they never get off. And and they're in there for an hour and a half. So it, because they're drug addicts, we a lot. I think most of us in this room, I don't know about all, but most of us in this room are addicted on some level to our phone. More than what's healthy. And and so, yeah, I absolutely agree that that's part of it. And the other part of it is, is you have the media whipping people into a frenzy. And it's over... <clears throat> We're talking about 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 the health here. We're we're talking about the mental health issue. We're saying just as much as it is a spiritual issue, it's a mental health issue. If you're if you're transgender, I mean, we're not your enemy. We're saying that let's look at what's wrong in your life and let's not cut body parts off. And that's something else. I mean, that that that's the next thing I want to get to. I, I meant to do it earlier, but let's talk about it now. What has happened to our image of the body that God gave us to the point where we think that we are in the wrong body such that we need to alter and modify it? And when I say alter and modify, I mean cut things off. Think about that for a moment. Women have been in that category for many, many years, probably since the 20s and 30s. Elaborate. Well. Please. You have your fashion statements, you know, uh, movie stars started coming out and everybody wanted to be like Angelina Jolie, Marilyn Monroe. Yeah. yeah. I mean, those are, those are early Judy Garland. Yeah. <laughs> Excuse me. So you go to the movies and start seeing these beautiful women who are always dressed perfectly and they look perfect on TV and you just go home and you're like, Oh, I just got up and put my house dress on and pull my hair back, you know? Uh, and so, so the the false image started coming up about being beautiful, being skinny, being this and being that, and it's just gotten worse over the years. It's not. It, I don't think it's hard as hard on men as it is on women. Yeah, to an extent. Although I I, I will say that men, the beauty standards for men. I'm sorry, there are beauty standards for men, and you you, you look at it. I had someone the other day say, hey, you, you you should get those really, really, really big, big muscles that are out to here like Chris Hemsworth. And I said, well, hey, I mean, that's fine, well and dandy, but you, you do realize something that uh, those guys are on steroids. 
and those guys are shortening their life. You are not the male... Guys, most people, you cannot get to that level of physique without doing some steroids. Mm -hmm. uh, I'm sorry, it's not chicken and, and rice. Uh, despite what Chris Evans said about getting ready for Captain America, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. So there's a male beauty standard too. And it is brought on partly by television and by, by these, these, these glorified, the, the glorification of this body that has only gotten through ill, I, I won't say ill-gotten gains, but, but through dangerous means. And steroids. Yeah, steroids. <laughs> steroids, dangerous means. Yeah, absolutely. So, Look at Lyle Alzado. Hmm? Lyle Alzado? Yeah. I don't know if I know him. Who is that? He is a football player. Um, oh, he got brain cancer, didn't he not? Yep, from taking steroids. steroids. And he was in football. Playing football. Yep. You see, uh, I'm I think sorry. He played for the Raiders, I think. I don't know. I think so. Check, check that. Raiders, I think. Mr. Producer. Jamie, can you look that up? Exactly. Exactly. Right, right. Look, can, look that up can, for us. Can I run? Can I run a rabbit down real quick? Yeah, I wanted to go back to the. I, I want to. It's going to bleed into this new topic oh, that oh. we've dived into, but I, I really want to break it all down for everybody. So, in society today, I would say, and you guys can tell me because I see this empirically, but I also see this just generally across the board. It is a lot harder to convince somebody who is older to change than it is someone who is younger. I could know just because of my dad. <laughs> it's a lot harder to change. But also, I think you would affirm that that's probably true. And it's a lot harder to change somebody who's older than it is somebody who is younger. So think about what Canada was trying to do. Canada is trying to put in euthanasia plans to kill all the older people off or to at least lean that direction towards euthanizing the older people, the older part of their congregation or the people who don't really matter like the disabled in their eyes. And they give them the option to kill themselves, to euthanize themselves. I mean, that's, that's horrible, but it makes a little bit of sense to me because I really do think when I hear the politics and I hear what the stats are, I think it's like that people under the age of 35, I think 68% of them are Democrat. Uh, and then, and then that's a high stat. So of course they would get want to get rid of their opposition in supporting a different group. Now, mind you, do I think that they want to see them die? I don't think so. But do I think that they're putting measures in place so that they can die? And do I think that if those people say like, hey, if you want to kill yourself, you know, we want, we want to help you. We want to help support that. And also, uh, it would be a societal good if you did that. So. And I, I've heard people talk about that, how great it would be to get Republicans out of the way. But, uh, but I don't, because I don't know if it's necessarily, I think it's really just like old to new and just trying to push it. Like, I don't think it's even Democrat or Republican. I think it's like something deeper. It's the old versus wanna, the new. I don't want to get conspiratorial, you know what I mean? But uh, but uh, whenever in movies you see that, like all they talk about is population control and how humans yeah. are the problems. I, I'm sorry. There's something to that. Well, no, absolutely. Even if it's just a, a cultural zeitgeist that, that's just sort of floating out like there. Like global warming, that, that the whole entire issue that they're they're not... Willing to say the quiet part out loud. Yeah. Uh, humans are the issue in their mind. 
Oh, absolutely. And and if you can get rid of the old older people, then also, by the way, you, you, there's, there's a lot of things that happen there because they're looking for control, right? They want to have more control and you get rid of the older generation and you only have the new younger generation, the under 65s. Um, by the way, in Germany, they called those people 65 and older, uh, disabled, defective, whatever. They called those people uh, useless eaters. Because like in Canada, who, by the way, who's in charge of healthcare in Canada? Who pays for it? Anyone remember? Well, Canada has uh, national healthcare. The government. Yes. So let's say that you say, hey, I, I would like to get my wheelchair access installed in my house as per the contract as a vet in Canada. This young lady, I say young lady, she's like 40 years old, give or take. And uh, they said, well, sorry, it's going to be a six-week wait time. Could we interest you in euthanasia? I mean, that, that's a wild take. That's a wild take. But guess what? It's cheaper. It's cheaper to do that than to install a wheelchair ramp for someone who got blown up in a potentially needless war. Also, I think going to the spiritual aspect of it, because it, it really is spiritual. I, I mean, I think about the passage that says the the older are to teach the younger. Mm -hmm. And I think if you get rid Titus of all the too. yeah, if you get rid of all the older people, then who's there to teach the younger? The, the fellow younger people. It's absolutely a spiritual thing, and that and that brings me where I I, I kind of want to pull us in with, with with the issue of the suicide of the West, and I I think it all boils down to truth. I think it all boils down to truth because what we've done in the West is we've, in the 1800s, we started to see this idea of a relativism where relative truth could somehow be, it, it, it's individualized. Everyone has their own truth. What did Christ say about the truth, Miss Nikki? Well, and John, um, I got it written here. John uh, 14, 6, he said, I am the way the life and the truth. And when he stood before Pilate in John 1837 and um, Pilate said, therefore say unto him, art thou a king? And Jesus answered and said, thou sayest that I am a king. Sorry. No worries. And thou sayest I'm a king to this end was I born. And for this cause came I into the world that I should bear witness unto the truth. Everyone that is of the truth heareth my voice. And Pilate came back with what everybody's saying today. What is truth? That was Pilate's answer. What is truth? That's the problem we're at right now, is that if you have your truth and I have my truth, then we have two worlds that are going to collide. Truth has to be absolute. It can't change from one person to the next person. It can't change from one year to the next. It's absolute. It never changes. Truth does not change. So what you're seeing is a collision of two worlds with two truths. And that's a problem. Absolutely. And, you know, again, I, I know it's a bad word to use the word Rabbi Zacharias. Oops, sorry, guys. It's a bad word to use the word Rabbi Zacharias. What? E-mode. <laughs> but I, I will say something. 
Ravi Zacharias did say something very, very poignant one time. He talked about the three modes of truth that a society could hold. You can have a theonomous view that there's something higher than anyone in the world that holds a value, a standard of what is true. Truth is transcendent from the human experience. Human, humans can't experience it, but it's transcendent from that. Then there's the heteronymous view of truth, where you, someone decides what is true, and everyone must decide what that person, everyone must agree upon that. Think social contract. And then there's the autonomous view of truth, my truth. No one wants to live underneath a dictatorship that is a heteronymous truth. If, that, if a government official decides this is what is true, this is what will be done, this is the value, this is what's moral, no one wants to live under that because eventually someone's autonomous truth will get in the way of that heteronymous. And if two autonomous truths collide, very quickly you're going to say, no, 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 my truth. So you revert to the heteronymous. Whereas instead, in the, in the culture, you'll see people say, no, 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 my truth should be your truth. Instead, what Christians say, our, what makes us different is we say, no, 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 it's not my role. It's God's. And he specifically laid that out in the scripture for us. That is what's true. And it has nothing to do with me. Another thing that people don't understand is that the consequences of you choosing your own truth, there are consequences. It used to be taught. Um, as a matter of fact, when I was in school, we, we heard about the Roman Empire and the fall of the Roman Empire was an immoral because things went um, internally. It was immoral and immorality brought down society that was taught. That was to show consequences of choices. Today, in our society, we don't talk about consequences. We talk about what I want. This is what I want. I want to live this way, and you don't have a right to tell me that I can't. What I do does not affect you. But that's not true. There's nothing taught about immorality either. Well, well that's, because that's, nothing's immoral. That's right. There, there, there is nothing in more on more. But the problem is, it's not sustainable. If it was sustainable, we would have societies all over the world who never embraced the Bible, who never embraced God's truth, still living, living in a situation of behavior that we're trying to embrace today as, as legitimate behavior, that it, it's just nothing wrong with it. And if that were true, then you'd have societies all over the world that were living that way. Correct. And don't point to Asia. Do not point to Asia because you see that those societies have overthrown themselves. You want to know what each dynasty was? A whole new set of truth mm -hmm. being put mm -hmm. in. You want to look at the Mongols and then, and then you have the, 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 the Ming, and et cetera. Each one overthrowing the other and you have warlords that are fighting. One do not, after another, after another, after another, after another, after correct. another. Do not point to China and to Asia as, as a sign that, that we have a great society that has lived. There were great societies that are gone. Their value, and the reason I say they're gone, not the people, the society, the values have crumbled. You look at Athens and you look at Rome. They're still here. Those people are still here. But what happened to their society? Mm -hmm. It ate itself from the inside out with immorality. That's correct. And God bless Matt Walsh, 
And when it says, what does a woman think? Awesome. One thing he says, and it just, it irks me. It's not true. He says that we have never had an issue with homosexuality in the past. We've never had a problem with transgenderism in the past. That is flatly false. You go and back and you look at every society that embraced transgenderism, though. It embraced it one to 200 years before the fall. And by the way, that is a very short time in old uh, uh, civilization numbers. When civilizations would live for 600, 800, 1,000 years, then they would crumble because the travel of information was reduced. So they would get further and further perverse from morality, from a, from a monotheistic morality. And as they got further, they would crumble because they, you cannot sustain that. You cannot sustain that. Now, to the chair of uh, philosophy, I want to ask you, without the North Star of Truth and the ever-shifting uh, goalpost of a self-validated or self-actualized or realized truth, what happens to an individual's own self-worth when they're the ones who are defining their worth? Well, if you're the one who's defining your worth, then you're going to come to some days where you're not worth anything. And in fact, you're going to come to some days where you say, I'm not worthy of this life, so therefore I'm going to take my own life. I think that's what we see with the suicide in Canada. And it's weird because there is a little bit of truth behind, what, behind what's there. We are worthy of these things, but we have someone greater that we worship and that we look to who says that, no, you are worthy. Regardless of, regardless of what you deserved, you're worthy of, you're not worthy, sorry. He is worthy. Let's phrase that. My apologies. Yeah, but, what I, just, just to ask you when you said we're worthy, I, I think you were saying we're not worthy of anything other than a sad death alone or, 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 or yeah, suicide. Yeah, no, yeah my, that was my apologies. What I, what I was trying to say is that we deserve death and we deserve to, to, to have nothing. And he has given us all these things, but that's because he is worthy. That's because God is worthy. And that's because that's what God has to say. And he's the, he's the one who implements the value. He's the one who says what your value is. Absolutely. Yeah. And he is given his worth. My apologies. <laughs> no, absolutely. You nail on the head. You're correct. He's the one that gives us value. We, we, we derive our value not in, in ourselves. The, I'm sorry, the hammer does not derive value in being a hammer. That hammer can sit in the tool shed for a thousand years, you know, and it'll crumble into dust. It derives value from what it does in the master craftsman's hands. And if we try to esteem ourselves and value ourselves based on what we are, well, we are nothing by comparison to God. And there's this longing and yearning in the human soul and spirit for that value to be imbued. That's why, that's why people create. That's why people perform. That's why people build. That's why people you know, act. That's why people sing. You long to fulfill the value that God has given you as a tool in his hands, in addition to the personal value of being an image bearer. Well, in, the, in, in today's society, just do whatever feels good, do whatever you want. 
robs you of your value. I mean, it, it's not going to, if you're doing something at the end of the day and you don't feel good about what you've done, that devalues your own self-worth. One of the things that, um, as a, and I, I take some, some criticism from this, uh, from even in Christian circles, but being confident of who you are in Christ is very much holding the value that God holds. And I didn't say be cocky and I didn't say be arrogant. I said, be confident of who you are in Christ. That when you look in the mirror, you can look in the mirror and say, you know what? I like myself, not because I'm perfect, but because I have Jesus Christ who's working in my life and changing me and, and, and working things out. But when you just give in to every whim that your body or your mind has, you will always be left unsatisfied and hopeless. Well, I mean, that's not what you were made for. You, you weren't purely made for carnal pleasure. You weren't purely made. You were made to build a relationship and a family. You were made to develop a, a, a bond with one person. And that's fulfilling. That's, that's something that can be fulfilling when you have a godly relationship between one man and one woman and a, you're building a, a it's a, I hope this doesn't cheapen it. You're building a replica. It's, it's, it's like you're building a, a model of a, of, of a car, right? You're building a 16th scale model of a car. It's a small version. You're putting that together. You know, a lot of people will build ships. They'll build bridges. They'll build um, uh, train model railroad sets. Your marriage, you are modeling something much larger than you on a scale that's much more vast. You are modeling the way that God interacts with us. And that's something that's precious. But when you throw that to the wind, yeah, you're, you're absolutely going to feel devalued, dehumanized even. By the way, I, I think that's why a lot of these college girls come back three years later and they say the guy raped me, even though it was consensual. is because they feel used and because that guy never came back. I'm not saying I'm cool with it. I'm saying, I mean, I'm jeepers, but lady, you, you just ruined a guy's life and you're both a pair of, you're both pieces of work. But um, dudes, don't, don't, don't do it. Don't do it. It's not worth it. Uh, anyway, moving over to the chair of culture, Mr. Steve. Yes. I want to ask you, when truth has been delegated to the individual, narcissism is a natural result. How do we see this unfolding in our culture? Give me some ways of, of how we see narcissism uh, fomenting in the general body politic and in culture. People developing their own truth, man. Uh, you have these different, say, like, let's, let's take, for example, all the different groups that are out here, all the alphabet groups have. And, you know, I don't have to go through naming any because everybody knows, can name four or five right off the bat. Each one of them have their own truth on what they believe the way things should be. We believe this. This is the way we think this should be. 
We believe this is the way this should be. We believe this is the way this should be. This should be this. This should be like this. Let's give an example. Let's give an example. Feminists, uh, feminist lesbians against the transgender movement. You have feminist lesbians. You say, this is our space. And by the way, I'm actually with you. I, I will yeah. fight that fight for you as well. Like, you know, don't say it didn't do anything for you. You know, feminist lesbians. Uh, I'm just saying, I'll fight that fight with you. But the thing is, is that it, it goes against the truth of the transgender individual who is uh, a neck bearded dude in a muumuu with chest hair popping out of his bosom. Right. right? Yeah. Or say, let's say, um, straight women not wanting to have uh, sport, play sports against biological trans, males. Biological males. Mm -hmm. Some say it's okay. Some say they're women. It's a, it Others is, say they're not. I mean, it's a compromise of um, truth, uh, and it, it it's giving in to. This is what I want. This, you know, a transgender person. This is what I feel that I am. I am a. I may have a man's body, but I have a woman's mind. Right. And so I should become a woman, but the facts are facts. It's not going to change no matter what. That's why I keep saying it's not sustainable. It's not. It's not because it's, it, it's not truth. It's an, it's, it's, it's a, I know that you're in, in pain and that you're suffering. I understand that. But bringing you into a place where your body and your mind are in agreement, bringing you into wholeness is what we need to do. Not to take you down a road where we're going to injure your your body by giving you hormones and surgeries that may leave you in a terrible place and that's what you're seeing so many people who detransition and they're they're in large numbers of deep people who detransition who now have lasting effects of the medicines the hormones and all that the surgeries and end up in more depression absolutely correct absolutely so when we say to you that don't do this we're not saying it because we hate you or anything like that we're saying hey uh you have a long life here let's make the choices that give you fewer regrets down the road i completely agree now and here's another example uh john arthur the left says for example, guns kill people. We all hear this, right? Every, I, yep. I, everybody in here hears this. You turn on the news and you turn on CNN, NBC, ABC, MSNBC, whichever one. You're going to hear it. Guns have been killing people. Man, they kill so many people, so many. Then you'll hear the right side say, People kill people. Now, there's only one truth out of all of that. There's not two truths. That's just like in anything. There's no two truths. There's only one. When you de when you debate truth, there's only one truth, not two truths. So wait, so wait, so wait. One, one so wait. can be twisted just a little bit, which is what the which is what Satan does. He takes the truth, mm -hmm. he takes it, and then just kind of tweaks just a little something and, and puts it out of alignment a little bit 
so that when he talks to you, everything sounds right, except that's where he gets you. Yep. Rap There's poison. a saying that goes, the devil is in the details. Mm-hmm. Rap poison is 97. said about that. Yes, sir. Rap poison is 97% uh, protein. Right. Uh, some of the old stuff is only the 3% that got the rap. You can have most yep. mostly true. You know, mostly true, and the small details are the killer. Yep. So I want to talk about politics here. I'm just going to throw this to the general group. When government defines truth, when government defines truth, what is the inevitable result? Go back to uh, Germany and look what Hitler did. Dun, dun, dun. When, when you're defining truth, you have to get rid of the opposition that yeah. is against you. And it's what's righteous and, and just, right? I mean, it's only right that we get rid of these people who are causing disinformation. Correct. Bad That's information. Right. Whereas I know the Christian message is opposite of the message that you want to proclaim. The difference is Christianity is by free choice. We're not worried about you opposing us because there's power and truth. You know what, yeah. you know what happens when the government is the one that decides the truth, you end up with soylent green for supper. Yeah. That's what happens. For those who don't know, just spoiler alert, but it's a, it's a how many year old movie, 50 year old movie? The book is even older. Back in the early 70s, maybe. Yeah. Something like that, I think. Yeah. Nikki ought to remember that movie. Soylent green. I don't remember that. It's where, it's where oh the, the, the government is processing people and that's what everyone's eating due to a oh, famine. Yeah. yeah. And they say it's actually algae that's being harvested from the ocean when it's just... You got to speak into the mic. Speak into the mic a little closer. Yeah, yeah just bring it up here. Thank here. you. They're, they're telling... Every, because what you're eating is green, and they're telling people that they're um, getting it, harvesting algae and stuff from the ocean and the water when everything is actually dying and that's why they're having a hard time feeding the populace so everyone who dies and, becomes soylent green and the last line in the movie right. is is the protagonist is dying and he's being he's going to be turned into soylent green right and that's Do you the know, last line the, the recent movie yeah. that i i love to watch and charlie does not like the movie is is the giver Seen that? Uh, the yes. giver? Yes. That is about the government takes full control of your perception and your reality. Ugh. And it's, I, I thought it was a very interesting. Well, and they're, yes. and, and they're moving that way. And that's what, that's how they want to move because that's how you get to that new world order, which, which brings me to the last, the last side of this, the economic side of this. And I want to put this to everyone here. Um, once we've devalued humans sufficiently and, and we've said that, hey, we are okay with experimenting on children. I mean, these puberty blockers are, are purely are purely experimental. I, I was trying to look it up right now. The, the internet's acting up. We, we got to get better internet. Uh, I was looking up the Blair, the Blair White project, which if you know uh, who Blair White is, uh, Blair was not always Blair. He transitioned to she by the standard. But this uh, but Blair was actually interviewing um our tulip we've talked about our tulip multiple times richie and uh um they were talking about how everything's experimental and these kids are being told at an early age 
uh, you, you, you need to do this and this is the way you'll feel whole. And R. Richie was talking about his experience as, as, as a guy that had bottom surgery. And uh, warning, it's graphic. But it's important to know, like, if you, if you have someone who, in your life who's considering bottom surgery, I would highly recommend that you have, have them look at that interview with, with Blair, Blair White. Because yep. it, is, it is incredibly awful what these kids are going through. But they're experimenting with these kids because they do want to create the world in their own image. And so from the economic side, once humans have been devalued, which industries profit? And, and, and I, I know Josh is going to like this question. How do we see the value of humans depreciate through or depreciated through healthcare, through social media, and then, of course, through the government industrial complex? Oh, my goodness. You don't even have to look at the government. You can just look at the insurance industry as a whole kind. Because <laughs> yeah. that's, yeah. that's healthcare. It's like the two sides of the same coin. It's. It's it's the fact that they're gonna try to find a way to weasel out of every single thing that they that you probably should be getting, uh, and you're not gonna get it, and so you're gonna be depraved of all the necessary things, and you're gonna be given all the garbage. So that's exactly how it functions. Do we see social media chattelizing people? And and before you answer that, I I, I want I point you to Exhibit A. The tick of talk, by the way, we're on TikTok now uh, at Further Everyday Official. We're officially but Chinese. We're, we're, <laughs> yeah, I need a that's racist, but um, yeah. you need to put your hat back on now. <laughs> yep, let me get it. Hold on. Oh my gosh! <laughs> but uh, TikTok, uh, so you see how they how they sell the information of children, and the thing that people don't realize the the idea of of data farming is very. Um, it is very etheric like, like it's not something that's concrete in people's minds the 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 esoteric nature of it is kind of quick to elude people but selling your data means that websites like and, and organizations like google and youtube they can actually do behavioral modification by what they suggest to you mm -hmm. and you don't and, and so people say oh but if you don't know what's happening if you're not aware of it, yeah. You know, and, and give give the government the power of 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 the the fictional government and the giver. Why don't you, right? And that's what they're and that's what they're looking to do. That's what they want with social media. And then with healthcare, of course, you look at what they want to do with the unholy uh, marrying of government and healthcare in Canada, where they say, "Hey, can I interest you in a in a euthanization?" Because you're a vet that, that needs a, a, a wheelchair access in your house. So what, what's the answer to all of this? And yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm not going to be corny. I'm not going to devolve it down to the Sunday school answer. But I, just to wrap up the day here, I want to get the, from the chair of theology. What is the correct remedy for our culture that we see as it's falling? Well, I'll tell you the, the four things that we that Charlie has always preached on. There are four questions every person will ask. Where did I come from? Where am I going? What is the purpose and the meaning of life? And how do I reconcile good and evil? You have an answer for these. The answer can spell hope. And hope can pull you through a lot of heartache and a lot of grief. Do you feel like your life has a purpose? When I look at myself or my family, I feel like 
Everything happens for a purpose. The Bible says that. So this may be ugly. This may be heartbreaking. But there's something on the other, other side of it. And I trust in the Lord to get me through it. That's hope. Hope is something that every person who's in a state of mind that wants to die does not have. And that's what they need. They need hope. They need to know things are going to change. Things are going to get better. There's a God in heaven who is, is in control and will see you through. Absolutely. Amen. Absolutely. And over to the chair of philosophy, Josh, philosophically. So it, let's say that, that, that we are able to lock down in, the, in, in our own mind that, yes, God is true. Jesus Christ did come. He was raised. He was born again. And he is the truth, the way, the life. He is the physical manifestation of truth. If we have that in our minds, wrapping up for the day, how would you say philosophically moving forward, should we respond to a world that is committing suicide right in front of us in a very real way in addition to the figurative? So we, it's not even a, we have an option, even though we do have an option, but it's not really an option if you, if you are a subscriber to Christianity and if you're a subscriber to the absolute truth of the, of the word, because he commanded us to go and tell other people about the truth. And I don't think he gave us an option in it. And I, and I think he's very purposeful with that. And at the end of Matthew he told us to go and make disciples, that means to go and teach people the word and to, to live it side by side with them, showing them how this is supposed to be. Well, when we don't do that with the people who are committing suicide or the people who do struggle with suicidal tendencies, we're leaving those people to their own devices. And we're just, and that's some, that's some really weird sadistic stuff that we're doing because we're here, we're walking side, we're, we're living side by side with these people and we have a hope and truth. And yet these people don't have it. And we don't say anything about why we have hope and truth. I think it was Sean Penn. Is that his name? Sean Penn from Penn and Teller? Yeah. He said, how much do you have to hate someone to believe that there's an eternal heaven and hell and not proselytize? Right? I think it's a different pen. I think it's William Penn. Is it William Penn? I think so. Okay. William Penn. Nevertheless, Mr. Steve, yes. from, from a culture perspective, if we as Christians believe, and, and so I, I, I want us to be giving answers, right? I, I want the show to be giving answers and not just uh, crying about, about the state of the world. Culturally, how should the Christian go about creating a culture, a counterculture that will enlighten and brighten up this, this dying, dying world? Say that again. How, how should the how should the church and should the Christian go about affecting change in the culture? We need to get out. Not, you know, there's. I know a lot of people in churches like to let's say curse the darkness. Yeah, like to curse the darkness, and then like to say go to another country to curse the darkness and preach God's word and spread it. Okay. Everybody likes, let's, let's make this mission trip. Let's go there. Let's go over someplace. Instead of doing it, there's so much work that can be done right here in your own backyard. Mm-hmm in your own community 
in your own state, in your own country, right here with these people, for people that you love, people in your family that you can take care of, people that are in your family that you can spread the word to that might need it, friends, relatives, associates, people you work around, various people, even, even people you come in contact with that may ask you about something, say like my hat here, says Jerusalem. Well, I have people all the time ask me about it. All the time, ask me where I got it. I tell them. Like, hmm? Ask me, where did you get that? And what store around here? I said, I ain't getting no store around here. I was in Jerusalem. That's where I got it. And I'll give them a little story about it and tell them some things. Always be ready to you give know, an answer. Exactly. Always got something to say about it. And it kind of, and then it leads into other things. Absolutely. You know, and leads into Christianity, talking about Jesus. So there's always something that leads into something else. Everybody needs to have a story that leads in and brings other people into and draws them to you so that you so that Jesus can draw them to himself. And that's what we need to spend more time doing as a culture instead of getting into uh, I know Josh how he love he loves social media so much, and uh, <laughs> called out. <laughs> he was actually he was being facetious. Oh my, gosh. Yeah. Oh my gosh! <laughs> and uh, you know, and one of the problems we have is just so people many people get tied up on all of the social media. It is see, there's just so much bad stuff that gets published on these things like. You know, our our Chinese people with the TikTok stuff, you know, and and then what whoever else is posting whatever on whatever, who knows whatever for whatever reason. Yeah. And, you know, I mean, it, you you can preach, talk things from A to Z on all of that stuff. But, you know, as Christians, we need to spend time doing what Christians do, which is like Josh had talked about, spreading the word and making disciples. Absolutely. He didn't say go out and save people. He said go out and make disciples. Amen. Amen. And that's what we need to do in our culture is make disciples. Yes, sir. Absolutely. And so I 100% agree with you. We need a culture that actively reaches out and, and look this is not take your opportunity to to speak with your uber driver with your server ask them if you can pray for them exactly i've gotten to pray prayers with uber drivers Some people say you're harassing them no i talked to them and by the end of the time they asked me right and, and, and we, we have that conversation make sure that you're willing to engage on the political aspect we do need to be politically active and guys we do need to be focused with our time our treasure and our and our talents on the economics front, we've got to be focused on the eternal because you only have so many days on this earth. Let's make sure that every day counts. If you like this podcast, like, comment, share, subscribe, all that good stuff. Thank you so much for over 180,000 downloads on audio. We love you guys. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And we are on YouTube and Rumble. Rumble, see you growing. Thank you for being there. 
YouTube. They heard all the bad words we said. <laughs> like abortions wrong. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, yeah, you know, I wonder phrase, if I, but still. I wonder if some of these people that that that, that wow, left nasty comments were on uh were were, were on YouTube's uh, board or or if they just reported us and someone watches like ah eh, these weird I, Christians. I think it's like they probably have an algorithm set in place to where they subtitle it off and then if there's a word in the subtitles Yeah, that's definitely true. Closer. Yeah, and then if there's a word in the subtitle, then they just automatically flag it for something. That's absolutely true to a point. Although, although I, I, we've we've watched views get removed. Steve and I have watched rem yes. your views have gotten removed, and your subscribers. We watched yes. subscribers disappear. So, with that said, thank you, YouTube. We know that we're right over target. And if you didn't like this podcast, well, you know what to do. With that said, we love you all so much. Have a wonderful week. Bye. 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 All right, all right. If you're still here, just going to go ahead and finish up for the day. Uh, what is the weirdest trend of postmodernism? Say modern art, modern music, <laughs> modern, uh, uh, you know, poetry. You can, you can say rap if you want to say poetry, but, but slam poetry, I think, is the worst thing. Uh, but what is your weirdest affect of this? suicide of the west where we, where we watched everything just kind of collapse what is the weirdest thing of the modern age for you as far as expression of art <laughs> or of beauty you got anything i'll give you one uh, just the look on their faces i'll give you one i'll give you one i'll give you one so i'm throwing you on the spot here's one beauty standards I'm not talking about the good beauty standards. I'm talking about Kim Kardashian. You're beautiful if you're fat. Oh, I'm talking about Lizzo. I'm talking about Lizzo. I'm I think saying Kim Kardashian has actually done more damage than Lizzo, but that's just my personal opinion. I think Lizzo is a symptom. I think Lizzo is like legitimately yeah. a symptom of that, of that self love, where where we took personal positivity, where personal self worth, and we replaced it with your physical value. Transgenderism falls in the same same boat. Anyone got any other thoughts? Weirdest thing about postmodern about Value? How about oh, values? You, it could be well, music. It could be art. So for me, I, oh, oh, go ahead. Go ahead, Josh. I was just gonna say, for me, it's definitely so. I have two, I guess, and I hate that I'm doing two, but one is that the really the the beauty standards, like you mentioned, and really I think the person who kind of kicked that whole entire thing off was Kim Kardashian. Because now you have a whole lot of people that are now trying to get. Like the fat biggest booty. thing, yeah, fat booty, a big boobs, like all these different things. And these things are completely unrealistic and they're trying to get as skinny as possible. They'll starve themselves, which will create anorexia. It's terrible. Yeah. And then, so then also uh, another thing is just the, like, I don't know. It's like the whole, it's, it's your truth. You live your truth or do what makes you happy. That's some, that's some weird stuff to me because I, I really don't understand the do, do what makes you happy. Everyone in prison was doing something that made them happy. At least most of them, I'm just saying. Yeah, because like, why would you, because do what makes me happy. Well, what if I'm just not happy and I just want to end it all and that's going to make me happy? Yeah. I'm going to say these quote unquote social influencers. Oh, yeah. They kind of, they kind of creeps me out a little bit because yes. of the fact of they, they go to extremes to keep their, their base coming back and coming back. And it, it just, I don't, I, I, it make. It just, it's weird. You don't like Dylan's Barbie pocket? 
and you know, no, I don't like Dylan's Barbie, but there are other ones too. And it's just like, they had to do this weird stuff so that their, their, their people will come back and keep yeah. coming back and they call them influencers. And I'm thinking, should be just shut off. Just turn it off. <laughs> By the way, making propaganda now for the Joe Biden 2024 mm. campaign. Anyway. So yes. Steve Screwer upper. Oh, Joe, he is not going to run for 20. He's going to run. Poor man, He's going to run. The poor man won't even know his name. Did you say Joe Rogan? Joe, no, Joe, no, no, no. Only Joe, the Easter Biden. Bunny Biden. Only thing <laughs> Biden's going to be doing in 24 is running for the toilet, I think. But, all right. All right, Steve. But I think one of the <laughs> things, I don't know if they still do this or not, but one thing I saw that was coming up not so, too long ago was slam dancing come on man world yeah. what is, is slam dance? i don't what even know that? what that what is, is it's like slam poetry but it's but it's it's, it's it's like it's like twerking so oh, it's just jerky slam yourself get out on everybody's out in the middle it's like a, it's, it's like oh, mentally like, ill people like slam. No, it's, it's like understand. twerking in the middle of the floor. yeah and, don't understand like I don't tell us what's your least favorite postmodern modernity value whether it's a beauty aesthetic it's po slam poetry I hate slam poetry I'll say that too I hate slam poetry it's so it's so annoying anyway yeah. tell us what your least favorite thing is down in the conversation below thank you we love y'all bye bye